What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First on Rundown. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Tuesday, April 5th. So the College Basketball National Championship is in the books. Kansas are champions. We're going to be talking about that today, along with a full breakdown of the final four games as well, because we haven't gotten to come on the podcast since then. And then we're going to have some NFL, some Bruce Arians talk, kind of talking about some stuff that happened behind the scenes with him and Tom Brady, because that situation was a little bit weird. And when it came out, it seemed like it came out of left field to everybody. So it, it was a little bit weird there. So we're going to be talking about that. Then we're going to be talking about our new NCAA doomsday series that we're going to start and kind of introduce today. We're not going to go too in depth with it because there isn't that much information out on it, but we're going to, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be a process. Um, it's definitely going to be a series that we do from here on out throughout the next couple of years, because it's going to take a long time to, to hash out. So yeah, we're going to introduce the NCAA doomsday, doomsday series. And then we are going to have some PGA talk at the end. Of course, you guys know the masters is this weekend. If there's any episode that you want to listen to of ours for golf, it's definitely this one because the masters is the biggest tournament of the year. It's the biggest major and we're super excited for it. So that's what we have on tap for today. Matt, what's going on with you? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's, it's, it's this crazy time of the year where March Madness is over in the same week that the Masters starts. So we have the biggest basketball tournament ending and the biggest golf tournament beginning. It, it, it's, it's amazing. And we're still talking NFL and we're still talking about college sports. I mean, I mean beyond, obviously, beyond March Madness. So, yeah, Hayden's right. Like, if there's any episode to listen to, this is the one because – you know, it, it combines our analysis of, you know, college basketball and everything with our, you know, takes and, and just kind of keeping up with the NFL news, as well as their big picture thinking NCAA. I promise you guys, this type of thing is not being reported anywhere else. We're going to be the first ones to to get it out there. Uh, and right. then obviously, you know, obviously with golf, the Masters, you know, nobody, nobody's nobody's going as deep. There are people going as deep as we're going to go deeper than we're going to go, but that's the point, right? We're here to go deep, but not too deep uh, here for the casual fans here for the insiders. That's uh, that, that's what we love to do here. So let's just get it started. All right, let's get it started with the college basketball overview. So we obviously had the final four games on Saturday and then we had the national championship yesterday. Now, I think the final four games were a little bit surprising to people. My my championship game that I picked before the final four games actually happened turned out to be the two teams that lost. So Duke lost and then Villanova lost. Now, Villanova was a little bit compromised by Justin Moore tearing his Achilles in the game against uh, Houston the, you know, the week before. But. I, I still think that Villanova came out a little bit slow. Um, I, you know, I think that they kind of relied a little bit too much on Colin Gillespie and Kansas is a really good team. Kansas was a lot better than I thought they were, they were all season. Um, they showed, you know, obviously, obviously a lot of heart and a lot of kind of determination to not get too down on themselves. And that's what showed in the championship as we saw, you know, 15, 15 point comeback from halftime, which was, Pretty crazy. I think that's the biggest. I think that's the biggest uh, deficit that anybody's ever come back from in NCAA championship history. So, yeah, props to them for doing that. But I'm kind of sad for my boys over at Duke. Um, I I wanted UNC after UNC beat Duke. I wanted UNC to win it all. 
and they ended up not doing that. So I basically, you know, all my picks for the final four and the championship game just went ter- terribly wrong. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think that Duke, like, I think Duke would have put up a better fight, I guess. I mean, you could, you could argue that UNC put up a good fight against Kansas. They just kind of fumbled the bag in the second half, but I think that Duke would have probably beat Kansas if they made it to the championship, which is a little bit controversial there because it's like, well, you know, coach K lost his last game to North Carolina, lost his first ever game with Duke to North Carolina, lost his last home game in Cameron indoor stadium to Carolina. Like Carolina is his nightmare. So I felt a little bit bad for coach K there, but I mean, nonetheless, you know, coach K had a, had a great career and, and it was kind of, it was kind of fitting, I guess that Duke lost because they did have so much talent on, on their team and everybody was wondering how they made it so far like that, because usually teams with a lot of talent aren't the ones that make it too far in, in March madness, as we've seen with Gonzaga teams and everything like that. So um, yeah, so it was, it was a little bit of a, of a weird final four and championship, but I think it was, I think it turned out to be very fitting for the kind of tournament that we had up until this point. Yeah. So just, I mean, I'm going to not even really take too much time with this. I'm just kind of going to go your, over each game. Kansas Villanova was the first game on Saturday. Kansas shut the lights out, man. I mean, we knew that they were more talented than Villanova going in, but I think that most people thought Villanova is a better constructed team. They play together more as a team, you know, more proven, you know, coach and Jay Wright, obviously, right. Villanova won the championship in 2016 and 2018. The last time Kansas had won previous to this year was 2008. Um, So Villanova had more success recently. They had more overall good players. Uh, Well, not good players. I, I would say, you know, team chemistry playing together. But like when you go up against a team that shoots the absolute lights out of the ball, you're not going to win that game anytime. All right. The biggest example of this is UVA being the number one overall seed in 2018 and losing to UMBC, the 16 seed in the first game. That like that summarizes everything because in that game, UVA is known for their defense. It's actually what won them the championship the very next year after this happened. But they could they play, they play. Great defense. You can't play better defense than UVA was playing that day, but UMBC shot 70% from the field. That's absolutely insane. If you're making every single shot, you're not going to lose. And so that's exactly what happened with Kansas Villanova um, on, on Saturday. And Kansas won the game by 15 points. As Hayden mentioned, Justin Moore, having him would have been a help, you know, to, to, to Villanova, but I don't I mean, would he have made up 16 points? Yeah, no, and, I don't and, think so. Know, and helped Villanova score over 80? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, so I think, obviously, the right team won there. In terms of Duke and Carolina, I was saying in all tournament, Duke doesn't defend, and we saw that come through in this game. If they had just been able to stop the offensive firepower from North Carolina a couple times, they could have easily won this game. And you talk about the refs and the fouls and okay, Mark Williams misses two, you know, clutch free throws at the end of the game to, you know, to, to basically, it would have been, you know, it was a four point game. He could have made it a two point game. They would have had like, I get it. But at the end of the day, like you're giving up to 80 plus points to North Carolina and to North Carolina's credit though, they'd scored 80 plus points in every single game in the entire tournament up until our, the, you know, the game last night against Kansas in which they lost. So yes, you're going up against a good offensively powered team, but like, I could have seen that coming. I feel like I I said it so many times on here. I'm like, yeah, Duke had great players and they started playing really well and they were shooting like crazy to in, in kind of their way into the tournament. Like, I mean, 
in the, in the second half against Texas Tech in the lead, in the uh, Sweet 16 game, they shot 70% from the field, you know, in the second half. You're not going to lose that game, all right? Then you go up against Arkansas, and Duke's players were just better athletes than Arkansas. But you play a team like UVA whose athlete, or sorry, team, team like UNC, whose athletes are just as good and who can score more and, you know, beat your defense, which is lackluster to begin with. No surprise UNC won that game. I preferred UNC to win that game because – I, I mean, I, there's a lot of people out there hating on Coach K and Duke and all that stuff, and I kind of, I kind of side with those people. Like, I'm not, I'm not a Duke lover uh, by any means, and, and so you know that was kind of the, you know, that was kind of the storyline there. I think the biggest story coming out though is, is that right? Hayden mentioned it. Like, this is Coach K's last game, so a lot of people then go to say, is it really Coach K's last game? That's the question, because a lot of people are saying that he's probably going to come back. Right. Because it's like you have this horrible, like the absolute worst possible team to lose to in this spot is UNC. And people are saying his leg, his legacy is tarnished forever. They're never going to be able to come back from this. And to some extent, that's kind of true. And so what can you do about that? Well, you can kind of come back for another year and just have your last loss not be to UNC in the final four game. I think that's a bunch of baloney. I think there's no way he's coming back. Like the fact that because essentially what he would have to do if he came back was win a final, like get further than he did in this season which is basically making it to the championship game. And the, the, the odds of that happening, like Hayden mentioned, like the most talented teams usually don't make it that far in, in, in the tournament just because they're not playing enough well, you know, together. So the fact that like people are like, oh, he's going to come back and just, you know, get, you know, get further than he did this season just to prove it wrong. And he, you know, and, and because he can't have his last game, you know, be a loss to UNC in the final four. Yeah, but good luck getting back to the final four. Like it's not, it's very hard. And the other thing is, you know, they played the higher seeds on their road to the final four, but it wasn't, I mean, it, it, they played good teams, but it wasn't, you know, they, they weren't showing anything crazy there. And then obviously the championship game was, was insane. Hayden mentioned it. I think that sums it up completely. UNC was up by 15 points at halftime. They were up by 16 points early in the second half and Kansas outscored them by like 20 points in the second half overall. And, and yes, it was the largest comeback in national championship game history uh, for Kansas. The crazy part is, I don't know. I mean, I watched every second of the game. It just, seemed like it just seemed like it wasn't even like it's like when Carolina was making their run it was like oh my gosh like this is actually going to happen Carolina's just the best team they're going to win the championship when Kansas was making their run it was kind of just like oh wow like you literally like blinked and it was like Kansas was back in it they'd outscored North Carolina by 17 points in like five minutes um which is what they do. It's what they did with to Villanova, right? You first five minutes of that Villanova game, Kansas six for six from three. There's no way Villanova's coming back from that. So I think that, you know, obviously I, I do think the better team won. I think Kansas was the better team. A lot of people are going to give them grief for, you know, kind of their draw. They got to play some really easy teams along the way. Sure. But like they played the best team from the other side of the bracket and they went, they were down big at halftime. They came back and they won. It's great for Bill Self in that program who has been a blue blood for forever, but just kind of ha- have been lacking the championship, lacking the March Madness success. And that's one of those things that, you know, ha- has been a hallmark of people's just, you know, Bill Self can't do it. Tech, you know, Kansas can't do it when it comes to March Madness. They'll get to every Sweet 16 and, you know, under the sun, but they won't be able to convert. And, and they finally did. And they proved themselves to the world. And, and obviously, you know, props to them for, for doing that. So it was a great tournament, a great end to the tournament. Uh, the fact that, you know, you had a one seed versus an eight seed and it was such a great game like that. Uh, you absolutely love it. And obviously, like I said, you know, Duke 
had what's coming for them. I'm, I, you know, I don't think we can be super sympathetic for it. So, so that's kind of my thoughts on the whole tournament. Yeah. One more thing. I just want to kind of shout out Armando Baycott here. He's the, he's the center for North Carolina and he's actually kind of a hometown, hometown guy for Matt and I. Um, actually, my friends actually used to play against him at the YMCA um, when he was, you know, kind of before our high school years. Yeah, I, I actually like I was in high school because, I mean, he's a senior right now. So I was and he had like a COVID year and a redshirt year and everything. So I was in high school at the same time that he was. And my the high school that me and Hayden went to and Ryko High School, like won like two of the like two out of the three like won the state championship two out of the three years yeah. um, that I was there. And so we had a great basketball team. And so we would host like a bunch of the like winter tournaments and like the exhibition games and stuff. And he played at a, a private school called Trinity, um, which was kind of closer by in the area and stuff. And they had a great team as well. So like, I actually, I watched him play in my own high school gym, like, you know, you know, five years or whatever ago. And like, now he was like, you know, probably should have been like the most outstanding player of the, you know, the final four, I think. Yeah, no, I was actually going to say the exact same thing that he if there is like some kind of or if there was some kind of final four MVP or even I guess even finals. MVP. I mean, because you can, well, you can't really even give like the final game MVP to a guy on the losing team unless he, you, you know, had some kind of like crazy triple double or something. But yeah, and, and final four games and championship game combined championship game. He was playing on a hurt ankle the whole game. You could tell. I mean, he was limping from the start like he did. He came out there on the court. And he was already limping. It, it, he didn't even play any. And he was already, you know, he was already kind of favoring that right leg, I think it was. So, yeah, he, and he he still stood his ground, his ground against David McCormick. He still had, you know, a couple, like, really good defensive stops against David McCormick, who is bigger than him. And so it was just like, that. I don't know, that was, that was very impressive in my and who's opinion. And he's also a Virginia prospect. David McCormick is from Norfolk for Virginia. So it's like all these guys. And then also, I don't know, Hayden, you probably don't know this, but, like, I was watching like the beginning of the UNC Duke game. It was like they were announcing the lineups and stuff. And obviously they said yeah. Armando Baycott. Uh, Jeremy Roach is from Leesburg, Virginia, which is like 10 minutes away yeah. from where I'm at right now in Nova. Um, and then Mark Williams is also from, I think, the Northern area or something. Yeah. He's yeah. He's, he's from, from Nor- he, he went to, so my girlfriend is from Norfolk and he, and she like knows who he is from, from, yeah. you know, him going to high school near her. So like, five of the 20 starters in the final four yeah. are like from Virginia. That's pretty, it's pretty high. Yeah. Also, I think it was Trevor Keels. He also he also he went to PVI, which is Paul the Sixth, with Jeremy Roach, and they played there together. And then they obviously went on to play at Duke together, which is pretty cool. So yeah, a lot of lot of local guys here from Virginia. You know, we're pretty pretty big on basketball here in Virginia. But yeah, that was that was just cool to see. And again, I I just kind of want to shout out Armando Baycott for being a being a really tough warrior because he was out there playing on a hurt ankle and you know, still put up a double-double in the championship game in the first half. He had a double-double in the first half, which is pretty impressive there. So, yeah, yeah, big props to him. All right, now moving on to NFL. We've got this Bruce Arians story. So Bruce Arians, the head coach of – or former head coach of the Buccaneers, he stepped down as the head coach of the Buccaneers, and he stepped up to the front office. Um, I don't really know exactly what position he's he's gotten there. I don't know if it's decided yet, but he's he's going to be somewhere in there in the Buccaneers front office. So he's still with the organization. He's just going to be not on the field coaching. So Todd Bowles took over as head coach and it was this was kind of seen as a surprise to some, um, you know, and others were left asking about the nature of 
the move and, and kind of like how it how it brewed up and how it happened. Um, because, it, again, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, it was very out of left field for most people. So it's awfully coincidental that Tom Brady unretired um, literally just a couple days, I think, before Bruce Arians um, stepped down as head coach. I think it was like two days, two or three days. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to pose this question to Matt because I, I want to hear his thoughts on it and then I'm going to give some thoughts on it as well. But Matt, what is behind this move and could it prove pivotal in the Buccaneers chase for a second title in three years? I think Tom Brady just hated Bruce Arians. Like, I think that's exactly what it was. And, and it could be, you know, you guys could be saying, oh, conspiracy theory, whatever. Seriously, like there were, I feel like many times when he, like, it would, you couldn't see like on the field frustration because they're never going to say anything about that. But I feel like in post-game press conferences and stuff, like they were kind of like subtweeting each other and just like saying stuff about each other. And I think what happened, what, and I started reading into this a little bit more, apparently what would happen was um, Byron Left, which is, is the offensive coordinator for the Bucks and has been for the last however many years, they would come up with like offensive game plans and, and, you know, have everything tuned out and, you know, Brady would sign off on it. And then Bruce Arians would kind of like look over everything because he's the head coach. So obviously he gets like executive level decision kind of once everything's already planned out, Bruce Arians would like take the offensive game plan and just be like, nah, I don't really like this. And he would just like change a bunch of stuff. And so obviously if you're telling Tom Brady, like, no, you can't run this stuff. Like why, you know, why would he be happy about that? Right. And so I think there were a lot of times and, and it, it was never really like released to the public, I think, but I think a lot of times, or there were a lot of instances where it, it, Bruce Arians would like try to tell Tom Brady, like, no, we're not going to run that. Like we should run this other thing. And, and Brady would just be like, no, like that's, that's not, I'm Tom Brady. Right. But it's like, you can't really like, it's, it's this weird battle between like one of the greatest players of all time still having to be coached but at the same time you, you you can't you have to coach those types of players differently all right the greatest example of this or analogy that i can make is 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 basically lebron james with tyron Lou when that you know when the Cavs made that run and beat the warriors after being down three to one like lebron is clearly like a basically a gm and a head coach all in one and he's the best player potentially ever so like when you're coaching a guy like LeBron, you're not going to be telling LeBron how to play basketball. It could be other things though. It could be player personnel things. It could be personality types. It could be how to, how to manage the, you know, the different, the different, you know, what makes people tick on the team and everything like that. So that's, I think how, what makes, and we saw a lot of times where LeBron would basically just fire a coach and then get a new one because like he thought, you know, maybe that's the guy who can kind of help me and coach me in the way that I want to be coached. I think that, we ran into the same situation here with Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, except Bruce Arians wasn't correctly coaching Tom Brady the way that he needed to be coached. I think that Bruce Arians thought that the best way to kind of do this is to, hey, sometimes you need to stand up to Tom Brady and say, you know, this isn't the right thing to do. But like not all the time. I think he probably kind of overstepped his bounds in regards to how much he was kind of, you know, going after Tom Brady, changing things around and stuff. And then Brady was like, no, this is just this is not what we need to be doing right now. So. I think that's, that had a lot to do with it. And so Brady almost was like, okay, I'm going to retire. 
And then he got word that Bruce Arians was like going to move on potentially because he knew that he affected Tom Brady's retirement. And Brady was like, okay, sweet. So I'm going to come back now. Right. And Byron left, which is going to still be the offensive coordinator. Todd Bowles is taking over as defensive. He was the defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles. And now he's taking over as head coach. And so I think that Tom Brady's going to have a lot more free reign and, I don't know. I mean, when it comes to football, like I hate to be like, oh, well, it's not the same in basketball because like LeBron's not going to. But I think that just the overall like sense of awareness and, and control of the game that a quarterback has, an NFL quarterback has on like everything that's going on, like far exceeds an NBA game. Because like, you know, if you're if you're LeBron and you're playing the Warriors and the Warriors just shoot like shoot the lights out, you know, in the second half of a game, you, you, like you're going to get blown out. Right. Whereas like in a football game, it's so much more evenly matched to where like the small incremental changes that Tom Brady's making to the offense or the plays or whatever it may be really do prove pivotal when you're talking about how that can affect the outcome of the game. Right. And whether or not the Buccaneers win. So I think we saw that a lot, and especially in like in the playoffs and everything where um, I think there was some strife between Bruce Arians trying to kind of, or Tom Brady, you know, knowing what the right play was. And then Bruce Arians kind of trying to, I guess, kind of, you know, level out Tom Brady a little bit when it's like, that's not really what you need to be doing, or at least not as much as Bruce Arians was going after it for. And so what's the outcome? I don't really know, but I think it's probably going to be positive, right? I mean, how much, like, we see Bruce Aarons as a guy who kind of like, he turned around the Cardinals organization a couple years ago. And then now, you know, he's been with the Buccaneers, but like, he coached the Buccaneers when Jameis Winston was there and they were still a losing franchise. Like clearly the change was Tom Brady and that's usually how it is. And so I hate to be on here on the podcast and being like Tom Brady's the reason that the Buccaneers are good. Yeah. Tom Brady's the reason that any football team is going to be good. I don't think it's Bruce Arian. So that's my kind of case here saying like they won a Super Bowl with him. I get it, but they had a great defense who was playing on all cylinders. They had no injuries the entire season. This past season, they did face injuries. They still had the same coaching staff. It didn't go as planned and you lost to the, to the Rams. You got pretty much blown out. It, it took a miracle by Tom Brady to even try to salvage that game to begin with. I think with a new system, a new coaching staff, where you have Todd Bowles as the head coach, still focusing a lot more on the defensive side of the game, whereas Byron Leftwich and, and, and Tom Brady are going to be working out on the offense. I think it's going to work better next year, and we'll see a, a, at least a deeper run in the playoffs by the Buccaneers. I'm going to give a different reason. I'm not saying that I disagree with Matt. and I'm, I'm definitely thinking about it now and I'm thinking, okay, yes, this makes sense. But I think that's what a lot of people are, are kind of giving the excuse as is Tom Brady came back and Tom Brady and Bruce Arians just don't, didn't really get along last season or they haven't gotten along all along for some, for whatever reason. But I don't know if that's the exact reason I read an article. It was actually from sports illustrated and it actually talked about the fact that it actually talked about like the talks between Bruce Arians and the general manager in Tampa Bay, who is Jason Le- Leashed, Licked, yeah. some, I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I'm just going to call him Jason for now. So basically, Jason and Bruce Arians, they, they had a couple conversations after the season ended. And I think even after Tom Brady retired, and they, and apparently this is what Jason was saying, the GM, he said that Bruce, it sounded a little bit like Bruce Arians was airing on the side of also stepping down, but he didn't want to step down unless there was some kind of like solid core to help his, his other assistant coaches not fall to the ground. So, so what I'm trying to say here is like, he's a very loyal guy, according to Jason, the GM. And what he didn't want was 
Byron Leftwich or Todd Bowles stepping into the position without Tom Brady there. And he, he didn't want them to step up and then everything crumbled because they don't have Bruce Arians or, um, or Tom Brady on the Buccaneers anymore. Like he, he thinks that he thinks that Byron Leftwich is going to go somewhere else and be a head coach somewhere else and, you know, have success that way. And he wants Todd Bowles to do the same. He wants all of his guys to have success. But I think that the thing was that like, he wasn't planning on stepping down until he heard that Tom Brady was coming back because he knew, okay, well, if Tom Brady comes back or now that Tom Brady is out of retirement and he's going to be playing for our team again, he's almost like, you know, an assistant coach himself. And so I think that he thought, okay, well, since Tom Brady's back now, I don't have to, I don't have to feel like I'm letting my, my assistant coaches down by just leaving them with this team that is rid of Tom Brady and, you know, doesn't have the pieces that we had to that one that's that one Super Bowl. So I think it's again, I think it could be a combination of the two, but I just thought that kind of behind the scenes look at it from from that Sports Illustrated article was was interesting. And I think that that definitely had a had a part in it because I've heard this many times and it's that Bruce Arians is like a very loyal guy who cares a lot about a lot about his staff and I think at one point in the article it said that like he he was once in a interview or some kind of like report saying that he cares more about the success of his staff and the success of his assistant coaches than he does about winning at the you know at this at this point in his career or something like that so that was that was pretty interesting again I think that Matt makes a really good point about Brady not really getting along with Bruce Arians and that may have played a part in it too, because again, Brady has so much, you know, say in, in what an organization does um, on, especially on the football field, but also not on the football field, you know, just in terms of like free agency and everything like that. We've seen that he's, he's brought in like eight guys to Tampa Bay already, and he might even do more <laughs> at this point now that he's back. So it's, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But again, I think that, I think a lot of people are kind of painting Bruce Arians and and that whole Antonio Brown thing too. A lot of people were like, oh, well, you know, it all started with Bruce Arians who I, th- a lot of people claim that Bruce Arians like cussed out AD, um, Antonio Brown on the sidelines when, when he left in that one Jess game. And, you know, everybody thought that Antonio Brown was crazy, but then people started, started trying to blame Bruce Arians for saying, okay, well, you know, he tried to force AB to play with this like injured ankle or whatever. That's what AB was posting on his, Instagram story, but I think a lot of people are kind of like painting Bruce Arians as this guy that doesn't really get along with anybody, but I think it's more of the opposite. That's actually, that's at least what I've heard is that it's more of like, he wants everybody to be happy, but that's not really feasible or that's not really possible, especially with such a big organization and, you know, a, a winning organization that we've had in the past couple of years with the Buccaneers. So yeah, I it, it's a little bit confusing there, but I think that there's two kind of theories that Matt and I gave um, that are definitely possible as to why Bruce Arians stepped down. Yeah, and I think that I, I do agree with what you were saying in, in part with the kind of like, he's not a malicious guy. He wants what's best for his team. He wants for his, what's best for the success of the organization. And, and I think we saw that in Arizona to where, you know, he was there for, you know, whatever, five or six years. And his first you know, few years there, he was good, right? Um, and, and so I think we saw kind of the promise in him as a, as a, as a, as a head coach and kind of had the ability to, to you know, turn around an organization. Uh, and clearly he did that, did that with the Bucks. But, like, 
I don't know. I think there just wasn't enough success with the Jameis Winston years. And, you know, obviously, right, Jameis Winston is is not ever really going to lead a team to a Super Bowl. I get that. Um, so there's only so much that Bruce Arians could have done. But I do think to some extent, you know, right, it, it, it with him knowing the player personnel and everything like that, he's a, he's a, he's an NFL head coach. And so to that, to that point, like he can't be, he can't just automatically be like the most players friendly guy ever and be like, okay, Tom Brady's going to take over now, you know? So it's like, he kind of have to have that argument as well. And I do think that the way that Hayden mentioned, uh, you know, the, the, the GM there, he's, Bruce Arians isn't actually like becoming the GM. He's kind of just like a sidekick to the existing GM. And so I think to some extent, like he's still staying in the organization and will probably have say in, in player personnel and all that stuff. So, and maybe even, you know, if, if some coaches have problems or issues or they need, you know, advice or whatever, he'll still be there as a person to kind of be able to facilitate whatever needs to be done. So he'll still be, you know, a part of the organization. It's not, you know, he's not going to kind of just, you know, just fall off the wayside here. Um, all right. So that wraps up the NFL talk. Let's get into the NCAA doomsday series. So um, this is definitely going to be uh, more of an in-depth, in-depth type of top type of topic. Uh, when we talk about it ad nauseum, okay, so kind of the, 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 the plan here is the NCAA is basically falling apart, all right, and we're going to address it, but we're almost going to do like, like a documentary, but a, po- but a podcast version of that, yeah. all right, so like episodes, you know, different viewpoints, we'll get some interviews up in this, you know, we'll, we'll do all the research and we'll present all the, all the theories. We're going to have like basically an essay written about this and then just kind of read it as a podcast form. Um, and this is something that I was planning to do probably, I mean, even as much as like six months ago, because the NCAA is in trouble. And just to kind of give a, a brief overview with all the NIA, the name, image, and likeness deals and everything that's going on now, where college players are essentially getting paid, uh, you know, by boosters, by parents, by, you know, other team members, other coaches, and then soon to be probably by the schools themselves, the NCAA previously had full control and full reign over anything that came to the players and the athletes themselves. All right. So the schools could choose, you know, who to give their scholarships to the schools could choose how much money they want to spend on their, you know, on their facilities and and improving the locker rooms for their sports teams and whatnot. But when it comes to the players being able to, you know, do whatever they want to do, whether it be paid or, or study or whatever, the NCAA basically had a monopoly over that. And so now that all the NIL deals and everything have been, or the, you know, the laws have been passed with that, the NCAA is essentially falling behind because they're still not allowing players to be paid, but there's all of these legislatures and everything coming up forward that is basically going to allow payer, players to be paid, which they should. And that's going to be part of our argument, but I don't, I don't want to get too much into that because we just kind of want to, want to tease it now. But the point is though, like you kind of have to understand generally what's going on. Um, is that, is that right? The, 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 eventually the NCAA is, is not going to have any more power because everyone ha- like money is power, right? And if the, and if the players have the money, they're going to have the power and the schools are the one and, and the boosters and the schools and whatever are the ones that are giving them the money. Those t- those entities are also going to have power too. So, 
all of this stuff, like perfect example, right? Like just very basic level. Like if this is all going over your head right now, here's here's like the basis of, of kind of why we want to do this, this, this series for this podcast. If you're, if you're a tennis player recruited to the University of Stanford, all right, you're playing tennis, you're doing your best. Stanford doesn't have the best tennis program in the country, right? You're probably not going to play professional tennis, but you're there on full scholarship being recruited to do so. Amazing. And you get a great education too, because you're at Stanford. Cool. Let's say, you know, you, yeah, you, you're playing tennis, you're doing your studies, but you know, you just want to have some side income. You want to have some money to be able to spend, you know, whether it's going out to dinner with your friends, going out, you know, to parties, you know, just buying clothes, like regular things that people do and spend money on. Okay. Well, sure. Let's get a job at Starbucks. All right. You know, you sign up for Starbucks, get you know, minimum wage, whatever it is. The NCAA did not allow student athletes to have any other means of income, all right? But prior to this whole NIL thing getting started and everything like that. So you couldn't make money as a student athlete. Now, the argument from the other side is, well, you're already making money technically because you're getting your schooling paid for. But the argument on the other side of that is that, yes, you're getting paid by the school, to come play that sport, but the NCAA is benefiting money monetarily, financially from you playing that sport, whether it be TV deals, money, outside money, all that other stuff to where, and they're not giving any of it back to the players because the NCAA is a nonprofit organization. Well, it's a nonprofit organization that makes $2 billion a year on March Madness. All right. Find the discrepancies there. I'll let you, I'll let you, I'll let you go on that for yourself. So that's kind of the deal, right? Is a perfect example of like, if you're just recruited to a school to play, to play whatever sport it may be, and the, and the, and the school pays your, you know, pays your tuition and gives you a scholarship. Great. That's fine. But if you wanted to make money doing literally not anything that had to do with playing the sport, selling your name, image, and likeness, anything like that, you still couldn't because the NCAA wouldn't allow it. So now this whole thing is being flipped on its head. And that's, that's the essentially what we're going to do with, with the NCAA doomsday series, because that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's essentially the fall of the NCAA. Um, and so I'll kind of stop here. That was just a general over overview. Hopefully it kind of made sense a little bit. I'll let Hayden kind of read out the script on, on what we're trying to do here. Uh, kind of when it comes to the nitty gritty about the series itself. Yeah. So Obviously, this is by no means a short winded situation that will, you know, just sort itself out in the next couple of weeks, as most sports news does. It's definitely going to be kind of like a few year type deal. Um, you know, we're going to be we're going to be talking about this a lot. There's going to be very many parts to it. I don't even know how many parts there's going to be. It kind of just depends on what's coming out as news and what's not, um, you know, we can, I think with this kind of thing, we can, Matt and I can almost make our own type of news. We don't even really need to wait for anything to come out to us. We can actually even like be the pioneers of predictions and, and situations um, and kind of break those down for you guys. And that's, that's really our goal for this, for this segment. Like Matt said, this series is meant for you guys to, hear it first from us and it's really meant for us to be kind of like our own you know kind of our own like reporters i guess is is, is what i'm trying to say like it's a more project yeah exactly this yeah this is a project this is a full a full-on project that we're going to spend a lot of time on and we're going to have i don't even really know how we're going to structure each each part you know when we have the doomsday series as part of an episode 
but I think that it's going to go something along the lines of we're going to have a money section. We're going to have a division or slash conference section. We're going to have all these different things because there is there's Matt kind of talked about the money part, but there even there, there also is this like whole idea of um, of conferences, especially when you look at co- uh, college football, where like the power five conferences, they are seen as the elite conferences. Right. And every other conference is kind of like mid tier. They have their bowl game. They almost never, you know, we saw Cincinnati from the AAC get to the to the college football playoff this year, but almost never do that. Does any other, you know, t- team from any other conference make it to the final kind of like bracket or, or playoff or whatever. So that's going to be a whole nother thing with the NCAA is that like, well, okay, well, I think that a lot of teams now, you know, like the, the, a team like Houston or a team like Cincinnati who probably won't get that fair of a chance to make it to the playoff again in the future. There are going to be teams that are, are like that, that are like, okay, well, we're just going to disband from the NCAA altogether because this is just not fair. Like everything that the NCAA doing is, is doing is just literally only for the power five conferences because that's where they get their money from. A lot of it does come back to money. Like pretty much everything about the NCAA does come back to money in some way, but we, we are going to try to split it up in terms of like some episodes talking about money. Um, and like Matt said, kind of, you know, the NIL situations and everything like that. But I think a lot of other episodes we're going to have talks about conferences and, and, you know, kind of how like, the power five conferences have just basically screwed everything up for every other team in the NCAA and how like, you know, mid major conferences that we talk about in college and college basketball, those guys, I mean, those guys have it better than, than the college football guys do. Cause obviously there is a tournament and, you know, we saw like St. Peter's make it to the, to the elite eight. And so obviously they had a huge part or a huge role in this year's tournament, but like, usually we don't really think of uh, mid mid major basketball teams as being kind of like profitable, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. And St. Peter's is a great example. Like St. Peter's, the, the school itself doesn't really have any funding. Their, their gym at their school is, it's basically like your high school basketball gym. And like, that's what it looks like. And you know, that again, that may not be a, a, a product of the NCAA directly, but it is kind of like, we've come to this point in, in time where like the NCAA has just created this kind of stalemate for, for teams that don't get a lot of funding and for schools that don't get a lot of funding um, because these bigger schools that bring money to the NCAA, those are the schools that the NCAA actually cares about. And the NCAA, you know, couldn't give a crap about any other team. So that's, that's what we're going to be kind of trying to uncover here with this series. Again, this was kind of just a little introduction. We're going to go so much more in depth. We're going to think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to spend like hours and hours and days and nights thinking about personal, I mean, possible situations that can, that can unfold here. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Again, Matt and I are super excited to kind of, to, you know, bring this to you guys and have this be part of our podcast, because I think it's really going to make us special and and differentiate our, uh, us from the rest of the pack. Because again, this is, this is some in in depth stuff, but again, you don't you won't even need to have much knowledge about the NCAA before listening to us talk about it because we're gonna walk you through every single step of it along the way. So yeah, don't don't be scared. Um, I know it, it sounded a little bit intimidating by the way we're introducing it, but again, it's it's gonna be very comprehensive and it's gonna be you know 
a thorough discussion each time we have uh, we have it on an episode and it's, it's going to be a lot of fun so i'm excited for it yeah and hayden did a great job kind of kind of mapping out the rest of that um yeah obviously you can tell we haven't necessarily decided specifically like what episodes are going to be what and and how we want to do it but that's kind of the point right is to is to we, we kind of hashed an idea uh, and, and we know that it can be a big project. I was, I was originally planning on, and that's kind of what I was going to get to before is like, I I've been talking about this for, you know, for thinking about this for almost like six months now, because I just thought that it, it would be, it's real like, there's so much behind the scenes that people aren't realizing. That's like just crazy. That's going on. That things could just absolutely blow up. And so I was kind of going to do it by myself almost. And I didn't really run it by Hayden. And now that, you know, obviously now that kind of, he's kind of seen what, what can, what can really be possible here. He's, he's super into it too. Um, but the, the reason that we're doing it uh, kind of, kind of talking about it now, um, as opposed to just like doing the series is actually, and you might not have caught it, but during the final four media days, coach K who was a pretty big subject at the beginning of this podcast was asked about kind of the future of the NCAA, what he thinks is going to happen. And he basically was like, they need to get their act together or, or this thing is, is completely going to you know turn up on itself. And I heard that. And I was like, Holy crap. Like, this is getting attention now. We need to do something about it because I I, I had known this and, and been aware of this for however long. But when that came up, I was like, okay, yeah, people are going to start getting into this and, and it's going to be a big mess, but a super interesting story that I think can be, you know, super historical. So um, yeah, as Hayden mentioned, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll keep updating as we go along. We'll, you know, we'll put the hours and, and the work into it to, to present the best, uh, the best possible work that we can do. But we're both super pumped for this project. Project. But that's enough about the NCAA Doomsday series. Obviously, we'll we'll update as it comes along. It is Masters Week. So Welcome to the Masters. It's the biggest golf tournament of the year. It's the most famous, well-known course, uh, you know, in all of golf. Um, and so we're kind of just going to give some background info, some players to watch and everything, uh, obviously, to get you prepped for the Masters. It starts on Thursday morning. So, you know, just about a day, uh, day and a half here from when we're recording. Um, and so kind of what I want to do first is just get get Hayden's thoughts, just general overview, you know, whether it can be, you know, how, how the season has gone so far, what he's looking forward to seeing in this year's Masters, how he thinks the play will be, uh, maybe some, 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 you know, some contenders, some non-contenders uh, that he thinks will kind of shine through here at the Masters this week. Go ahead, Hayden. All right. Well, the thing that everybody's talking about is Tiger Woods. And I think that that's really overshadowing the, the juiciness that we have at hand for this Masters tournament. There's so many contenders this year that we haven't really thought about in past years. One being Scotty Scheffler, who just made it to the top of the leaderboard in, in the world rankings. He is currently number one in the world rankings um, because he's won three of his last five ma- uh, tournaments. So he is on fire. Um, I think the f- the betting odds favorite to win it is John Rahm, which makes complete sense. If you guys didn't know, John Rahm has he has placed in the top ten of the Masters the past four years that they've done it. So, um, yeah, that's that's and the reason I say the past four years that they've done it is because twenty twenty was really weird and they did it in November of twenty twenty and then twenty twenty one this past year they did it in April. So there was there was a, two Masters tournaments within like like five months of each other. It was, it was a little bit weird there, but um, yeah, but that's, 
that's the reason I said that. Um, but yeah, John Rahm, he's he's placed in the top 10 the past four years, the past four Masters tournaments. So a lot of people are expecting him to kind of make it over the hump this year. Um, there's always, you know, there's always those guys lingering there with the Jordan Spieths and the Justin Thomases of the world. Um, Dustin Johnson won it back in, I think it was, what was it, two, uh, 20... 20, he won the 2020. 15? So in 2020, obviously this time, th- this time of year in 2020 was the peak of COVID and everything was shut yeah. down. Um, and so what they did was they moved the masters from April, the first week in April to the first week in November. So they moved yeah. it kind of like six months out. He won that master. So it was yeah. in the fall. It was kind of weird because he had, it was completely different weather. They had to do the grass changes and everything. He actually though broke the record for the highest or lowest master score. Um, so, you know, the best master score ever at minus 20 and he blew up the field. He won by like 10 strokes. Um, and he really got, he really, you know, he, he completely, uh, you know, crushed it. Um, but again, it's kind of an asterisk because right. It was, it was in a completely different time of year. It was all weird because there were still, you know, there were still protocols and everything because it was still in 2020. So there was still COVID going on, no fans, everything like that. So it was a little bit of a weird tournament, but he did win it recently. Uh, and so that's kind of where Hayden was, was leaving off there. Yeah, exactly. And then another name in the field that you guys are probably wondering about is Hideki Matsuyama, who won it last year. So he won the 2021 April Masters. Um, he, you know, he hasn't been I think he he's coming off like a back injury over the past couple of weeks. So he hasn't really been playing well or really at all recently. And so a lot of people are kind of speculating about that. Um, we don't know if he's going to be full go. Obviously, you know, he's he's. He's definitely going to play, but um, I don't know if he'll be, you know, completely okay for the Masters. But I mean, I guess you could be you could be looking at him and be like, okay, well, you know, he might be in a better in a better place than Tiger Woods because Tiger Woods has both age and obviously, you know, his his car accident that just happened basically right about a year ago. I think it was like right right around this time of year, twenty twenty one. Um, when he had his car accident. So he's he's coming back from that. It's looking like he will play. So that's going to be really interesting to see. He's been talking in the media like he's going to play. Um, he's I mean, he's he's even talking about like his some of his strategies and and how he's going to play the course based on what he can do with, you know, with how his body is conditioned right now with with not much power in his legs because, you know, he, he had a bunch of compound fractures in his legs and everything. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all crazy for him. But again, I think that you guys have probably heard enough about Tiger Woods. If Matt wants to talk more about him, he can, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think those guys that I just mentioned, they're the favorites, obviously, I, I guess Cam Smith is another guy that I didn't really mention. And um, I don't know how he'll play. He, I haven't really heard of him doing well in a masters, but I, again, I haven't really, I haven't really been following him like that, you know, for, for kind of a long time here. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go, uh, go ahead and hand it over to Matt. Matt knows more about like the course conditions and the weather and everything. So he'll probably talk about that. Yeah. In regards to tiger real quick, um, he's going to play and there's kind of two sides of the argument here. All right. One is kind of what Hayden was saying. He fractured both of his legs like a year ago. So the fact that he's even like walking the course is going to be crazy. So it's likely that he's going to play very badly. The other side of the argument is that this is Tiger Woods. He's won the Masters five times. He's the greatest golfer of all time. And kind of what people are thinking is like, if he says he's going to play, then he has to know that he's going to do well. 
right? Because I don't think, especially regardless, because he doesn't care about the money at this point. You know, it, a lot of guys, like if you show up on the course, you'll make all your endorsement money from your sponsors and all that. And so you'll get paid, cool, whatever. You missed the cut, fine. But like for Tiger Woods, it's about being competitive, all right? It's about showing that he's able to come back and perform similar to what he did in 2019, where he, you know, that whole DUI thing had happened with the and then the, the girls and the whatever, basically it was, it was a ton of crap. Right. And he didn't play golf for like two years. He comes back and he wins the, he wins the goddamn masters in 2019, like arguably the greatest comeback story of all time. So we kind of have a similar situation here. Like everybody's like, there's no way everybody's doubting him. There's no shot. Tiger is even going to participate. He's not even going to compete because he, he, there's no way that he can come back from that. But like this happened kind of before and he won the thing. So there's two sides of that argument. I tend to side with the former where I think he's going to try to play and just not really be able to perform very well because the other thing is, and again, he's Tiger Woods, so he can, whatever preparation, I don't know, but like he hasn't played golf. Like he's practicing, but he's like, he hasn't played in a tournament in like over a year, you know? So there's just a lot, a lot to kind of, you know, get there with, all the Tiger stuff. So I think that he's going to play. I don't think he's going to make the cut. That's kind of my analysis on Tiger. In regards to the weather, Hayden went over the kind of the, the, the players, you know, some guys to watch out for. The weather this year is going to be a lot more influential than in past years. And the reason for that is because right now it's Tuesday night. It's raining really, really hard right now. Okay. There's not supposed to be any rain during the weekend, which we had a little bit of rain at the end of last year's tournament. There's not going to, it's, it's going to be clear skies for the turn for the, you know, for the week of Thursday through Sunday, which is the good part because then we, you know, we won't miss any of it. Right. It's raining really hard right now. And it's not supposed to stop raining until like midday on Wednesday. And that's kind of, you know, less than 24 hours before the tournament begins. So kind of, what the rain does in, in terms of affecting the course, the rain makes the course soft, which it makes sense. If you think about it, you know, if you have a bunch of grass and then the rain, you know, rain comes down and, and makes the grass really wet and there's all this mud and stuff. If you try to hit a ball, if you try to throw a ball onto the ground, it's going to roll normally, right? When there's no rain, no wind, nothing like that, the ball is going to hit the ground. It's going to roll a bunch. Okay. If when there's rain, the course becomes very soft. And basically what you mean by soft is that when the ball hits the ground, it stops. Okay. So you don't get that extra roll and whatever else. In addition to that, the, there's not going to be rain during the time that the, that the, that the masters have played this year, but there's going to be wind. And the way that the wind and directionally and everything that's going to work out is it's basically going to be going against the players hitting the ball most of the time during the weekend. So you kind of have two different ways in which it's going to make the course a lot longer. It's going to make the course a lot harder to play because you're going to have to hit the ball further and you won't get extra rolls and you won't have the wind in your favor, pushing the ball further. And so kind of the narrative going into this master's tournament is that you're going to, you're going to probably see someone who hits the ball really far. All right. We've seen so far this year, a lot of guys who are playing these longer courses who are kind of, they, they've been known as long hitters in the past, but haven't really had, you know, the, the, a, a well-rounded enough game to be able to really pull it through. All right. But like 
earlier in the year. You know, we, we, we saw Luke List win the Amex. All right. You had Tom Hoagie win the Farmers at, 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 uh, at Torrey Pines. Um, you know, guys like that. You had, you know, Joaquin Neiman went wire to wire, you know, at the uh, at the Genesis at Riviera. So, like, you have these guys who kind of are, are making a name for themselves now by being longer hitters. So I think that's going to lend this, the, the way that the weather is working out is going to lend them an easier path to potentially winning the masters this year. The only problem is it's the masters and you have to have like certain courses do well for certain golfers. All right. We saw the Valero Texas open this past weekend was won by JJ spawn. Okay. If you put $1 down on JJ spawn to win this, to win this tournament this past week, it would have won 210 bucks. Okay. That is insane. Those are insane. So we're not going to get a JJ spawn winning the masters. All right. We're going to get one of the guys you're familiar with because when it comes to the, when it comes to Augusta, this golf course, you have to be good at everything. And that's why we see the top, you know, the leaderboards every year, are just top guys who are good at everything. You need to be good around the green. You need to be good out of the bunkers. You need to be good putting like all that. Stuff. And as I said before, driving the ball and hitting the ball long. So your long irons, your long drivers, like those are the guys that are going to succeed here, but you also have to have good, you know, play in all the other areas that's important in golf too, in order to compete and to really win here. So you're, you're, you're going to be, you know, hearing about guys being hyped up guys like Justin Thomas, right. Who just, I mean, he has, he has great all around game, no matter what Brooks Kepka, same way. He's a bomber off the tee. Dustin Johnson's one of the longest hitters in the, uh, in, in the field this year. Hayden already mentioned him. Um, and so those are kind of the guys that you're going to be hearing about in terms of like, could actually make a run. Jordan Spieth's a good example. Jordan Spieth's won two masters tournaments, right? But he's not that long of a hitter. He's a great putter. He's a great around the games. His, his irons are arguably the best in the world, but like, if he's not going to be able to hit it long off the tee, he's going to take an extra couple of shots on some, holes instead of kind of the normalcy that he's used to where like you get it there on four you're good to go you get a par you, you move on right but like some of the par fives are be playing almost 600 yards in addition to the soft course conditions caused by the rain as well as the wind kind of going against their favor so so that's a little bit behind the scenes some 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 explanation as to kind of what the course is going to look like and how the weather can really affect the outcomes here at the masters this week yeah, exactly. And funny you mentioned how the course is becoming longer because of the rain. I think it was I think it was two years ago or something like that, that they made one of the par fours um, like 40 yards longer than it was because they they basically like there was this kind of mini crisis with golf a, a few years ago where like they wanted to they noticed that guys were shooting super, super low on basically every single course and like Matt said, I mean, even, you know, Dustin Johnson in the 2020 Masters was was a great example of that, how he went 20 under and, you know, smacked everybody else in, in the tournament. And yes, there was this kind of like mini crisis where they were, where the PGA course designers, I guess, or, or a lot of the, the guys that I guess kind of run like the PGA tournaments were like, okay, well, we need to make these courses harder because the I mean these are the toughest courses in the world right like some of the toughest courses in the world that these guys play at and they're still shooting so low and so how can we make these courses even harder for them and so one thing that they, one thing that they did I think it was it's either hole 13 or hole four I'm not sure which one it is but I'm pretty sure it's it's, it's a par four and it used to be like 440 
450 yards maybe um which is which is pretty long for a part four um but again for these guys it's not it's not too too long but they increased it by 40 yards a, a couple years ago i think and so now it's a 495 yard part four which is like I can't even imagine playing a 495 yard part four. Like that is the, that I would be so scared. I would shake my drive into the woods just thinking about it. So yeah, that's uh that that's just kind of like a little fun fact for you guys. Again, these guys are pros, so they're going to, it's not going to phase them at all, but, um, but Matt's right. You guys should see the long hitters kind of at least come out to an early lead. Again, that's not to say that we won't see, a guy like Jordan Spieth, who's not as long of a hitter. That's not to say that we won't see him win or that we won't see him do well. Um, but you, yeah, it's probably going to be the long hitters that are doing well towards the beginning. And then once we get into the later days, we'll see how it pans out. But yeah, I, I think both of us are really excited for this tournament. And uh, again, it's, it's, this is kind of the first year that I'm like really into golf and that I actually know a lot of the guys in the field. So um, I'm definitely excited about it. So I hope you guys are too, but uh, yeah, that I matter. Or you have anything else to say? All right. Well, that about wraps up our, up our episode. I think that this episode was a little bit less than an hour, but again, it was kind of a, a quick episode where we had a lot of topics. We haven't had this many topics in a long time, so I was I was happy about uh, you know kind of getting getting all this information in. And I'm re- again, I'm really excited about our NCAA Doomsday series because that's that's going to be uh, you know a gauntlet basically of of information coming at you guys, but. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, again, be on the lookout for our NCAA Doomsday Series episodes. We don't know when they're going to come, um, but we probably will be t- posting on our Twitter when we're going to have one and kind of like previewing um, what we're going to be talking in those episodes just because, again, we, kind of, we, we want this to be our thing. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to be active on Twitter there. Our Twitter is, uh, Matt, what is it? It's First Down RD, right? First down RD pod pod. That's what it is. Yeah. We had, we had to play around with the name. <laughs> we made a new Twitter and we had to, and Matt had to play around with the name a lot. Cause a lot of, a lot of names that he tried would be like one letter too many ca- characters in the, in the title. And so, or in the tag, I guess. And so, yeah, we had to, we had to play around with it and, and get it just right. But yeah, it's first down RD pod. Um, I don't know if capitalization matters in Twitter handles, but. Um, yeah, so if you're listening to this, go go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter because we're going to be more active on there. Um, we we also have a TikTok. It's called it's first down dot rundown dot pod. Um, so you guys go follow that if you're listening and you have TikTok. And yeah, we're gonna skedaddle out of here. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you guys on Saturday with another interview.